Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Okay. Just like that, we're live. Holy moly. My guest today, I was looking at the notes, and I'm just like, how do I even introduce him? He is all the things. Entrepreneur, sales and marketing thought leader. Some stats for you. Top 50 social sellers on Twitter. Top 50 sales pros to follow on Twitter. Author of one of the top 100 sales and marketing books for the decade, and something we want to chat about. The lead generation for the complex sale. That sounds like some B2B action here. We're going to get into that. Host of the B2B Roundtable show. We're going to talk about podcast. Author, speaker, evangelist, CEO, and founder of Markempa. Brian Carroll, how are you, sir? I'm great, Casey. I'm so glad to be with you. Man, this, you, you do so much. Like, I know. You, I'm listening to that going, man, I need to take a vacation or something. And I edited that. <laughs> like, I literally had to delete like eight things so people wouldn't be like, who are you talking about? Uh, yeah. Like, thanks for coming on here. The, the theme for today is, is around what you love talking about and what I want to hear more about, the empathetic yeah. marketing and putting that soul back into what we're doing on the sales and marketing side talking B2B, talking complex sale. Uh, and so to start out the show, we do what we do every time. And I'm going to pass you this. It's heavy, so be careful. But this, this is Thor's hammer. So go ahead, take <laughs> that for it. me. Okay, you got it. Now, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception that just drives you up the wall. Well, there's a bunch. Let's start with the top that you can automate trust, you know, and, ah. and so I see this constantly, um, you know, every day my inbox gets filled with automated messages uh, coming from different sequences, some from people I know, some from people I don't know. And um, the, the fact is, is that um, trust is something that's built over time. Uh, you got to do things like actually uh, Go out of your way. I've always felt the best marketing selling feels like helping because it really is. And so right. you got to care about the recipient. I find most of the messages I get um, aren't from someone who cares about me. I'm just a number. I'm just an email address. Um, two, there's very little value exchange. So, you know, if you want to build a relationship, there's two ways. Like Casey, you and I are having a conversation um, that where there's listening and there's sharing and there's disclosure. And um, the other way is something, you know, the, the fancy term is reciprocal altruism. But what does that mean? It just means we actually do something for someone else without expecting anything in return. And think of friendships you have. Think of close relationships you have, you know. Um, and I would just say caring is a choice. Uh, loving others is a choice. Being curious about people is a choice. And when we combine these things together, um, that it, it, it forces us actually to do things that build trust, which is uh, trust can only be built at a certain speed, which is dialogue. So that's the first. Is, is there a formula for that? Like E equals MC squared? For the, <laughs> Wouldn't you love it? I mean, yeah. that, that's, the, uh, uh, that's why the relationships category is one of the single biggest categories, you know, on uh, Amazon. Um, marketing is exploding, all this. The formula I would say is, is that um, when, uh, what I look at is look at, look at what you're about to send to someone or yeah. when you reach out to someone, you got to see from their point of view. And this is really hard. And this is why I got into empathy is, is um, connecting with things people care about. Ask, ask yourself a simple question, um, you know, would I want to receive this? Would I want to be the recipient of this message? Right. You know, would I want someone that I care about to be the recipient of this message? Um, and I find that so often, because we're trying to get our needs met, we're in fourth quarter right now, uh, that true. sometimes we're, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety if you're behind for the goal, um, yeah. and uh, or you need more leads now. And so the the pressure that that puts on us, cortisol helps us focus, but it also can be, have a negative effect, which is that, 
that focus can cause us to try to get our needs met at the expense of someone else's. Ah, and it. so what I'm saying is, is when you're in fight or flight mode um, and you, you, you don't know it, you just feel that, that either sweatiness of your palm or that bit of anxiety or whatever you're feeling inside your body, um, you, you need to move into a place of, of um, getting out of that space when you relate to customers because um, we, we unknowingly um, could be like the Wolf of Wall Street, which is we're being sociopathic. We're trying to get our right. needs met at the expense of someone else. And so the, the whole point to this is um, what I'm saying to listeners is like, well, of course, Brian, you know, of course <laughs> that makes sense. Duh. Right. But the reality is, is this is easy to talk about. It's hard to do every day, especially when you're, you're trying to get your needs met you're developing your three touch automated email sequence and who decided it had to be three touches anyway? Sure. Who decided, you know, it's like we copy everyone else so much in B2B. I, I think that you have to just always go from the experience of, um, I, I was just with a group of marketers last week, the marketing prof sum. And I was like, you guys, what if you, how many of you have actually gone through, uh, filled out your own form and gone through the experience of what your customers have happened? Right. And, no one raised their hands, you know, <laughs> in the room. Um, and it was like, oh, okay, to-do list. So be like a secret shopper, you know, looking at your messages. Um, you know, there's some other myths that we could certainly bust, but yeah, you can't automate trust. Well, yeah, and, and we'll get into that. We can smash all day. Thor's hammer does not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. But, so some of the questions on that, the reciprocal altruism um, and opening up an email and being like, yeah would I want to actually receive what I'm sending? You know, I, I bumped into that or bumped into that recently where we're sort of planning this four month, uh, four month, four email, not three, it's four <laughs> email program for some people coming off of a part on implementation. And then we're yeah. thinking, you know, yes, you may have, you may want them to purchase more, but you can't send an, you don't, it's like, it just felt like you can't just send an email saying like, buy four times right. it's not what people want to see especially in a complex sale and so it, it it was kind of fun to then shift over to oh what this would be helpful oh, this would be really let's, let's shoot them a link to a podcast and to a webinar we did and and it, and it kind of just changed the whole it felt much better it felt like we we're doing a good service by creating this to send it out but to your point when you're in that fight or flight mode it's like, it can be hard to do that. Is it, is there any hacks you could recommend? Like, yeah. it, okay, you're getting yelled at for more leads, go. And then it's yeah. like, what do I send? You know, some part of, uh, as much as we focus on the external game, we think marketing and selling is all about the things we do in terms of connecting when we speak to customers, when we email customers, when they visit our website, when we do yes. these things. And I would say that that's, uh, there's truth in that because that's that's like the above the iceberg experience of the customer. But what I would say is, is that the other side to this is there's a whole inner game. There's an mm. inner game to everything, inner game of sports. There's an inner game of marketing and sales. And so for me to be an effective marketer and to actually do my work of empathy, literally, um, I, I find that um, getting to a place of feeling uh, emotionally calm or caring for others means uh, here's here's one thing i'm going to share with your listeners right now um, a group of scientists made a huge uh, discovery for example that um, if you want to improve your ability to empathize and see from another's experience becoming aware so um, for those of you who can't see the video i'm putting my hand on my chest right now right where my heart is now i'm going to tell you why why this is um, valuable is is for whatever reason, when we become aware of our heart beating inside our chest. Mm -hmm. So when we, when you, right now I'm feeling my heart and those who are listening, you could do the same. If you're driving down the road, you could safely do this. Which well. side? This is the left side, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> left side, right where your heart is. Okay. And I want you to just quiet yourself for a moment and feel your heartbeat. And, um, and, and once you can feel it inside your chest, I want you to remove your hand from your chest and then I want you to stay present and see if you can still feel that heartbeat. Now, the point of this that they found is, is when we become aware of the felt sense inside our body, um, our heartbeat, our feet being grounded to the floor, like we are present to ourselves, that 
Um, they can't explain it why yet, but they found that people had a marked improvement in being able to see others' emotions and oh. see from their experience. So, of course, if you talk to any scientist, when they make a research conclusion, it's never a conclusion, actually, it's a finding. And what do they say? We need to do more research. And oh, so geez. I'm sharing this with you because I found that um, just a quick 30 second, feel your heartbeat, become aware of it, can Im immediately improve your ability to empathize with someone else. And here's why I think it works. I think um, in my own work, I find that I need to be present to my own emotions experience. Because if I don't know how I'm feeling, and what my experience is, the interior, how, how am I really able to see someone else's? Uh, I might see it through my own darkened, uh, cloudy glass window. And what, when you become aware and present of your emotions, I think why it works is that we begin wiping some of that stuff off our glass and we can start seeing someone else more clearly because we have that, we can actually filter out and say, oh, you know, uh, I, I see why they're feeling that way. Because unknowingly, we filter information, uh, and it's like the telephone game. Well, this, mm -hmm. you know, as much as we're in the sales and marketing business communicating information, what scientists have showed is that um, neuroscience, especially, Antonio Damasio discovered we aren't thinking machines that feel, we're feeling machines that think. What, his breakthrough discovery that's important for, for everything in, in life, but especially in sales marketing, is that all of our decisions are grounded in emotion. Mm. And so when you think of the journey your customers go on when they decide to solve a problem, um, it's actually an emotional journey. It's like right. a hero's journey. You know, uh, yeah, They're yeah. trying to get home. They're trying to climb a mountain. Um, there's something that they're trying to get done. And so... Uh, we we could talk more about that, but this is where I think marketers and sellers can be more like Sherpas when we help people on the journey as they climb that mountain of buying. Right, right. Do you do you climb mountains? I I, I do rock climbing, and I have I have hiked a mountain. I actually, uh, and it's if if anyone out there is has um, hiked up a mountain, Colorado, they have a number of fourteeners. Yeah, and so. You know, it's it can be arduous, and if you're doing it by yourself, you know, I I don't recommend it. I saw people <laughs> running by themselves. I'm like, man, you're you're brave, you know. So we went with a group of people, and um, you know, to help each other along, especially when you're hiking with a pack on your back, you right. know. And so, Sherpas, um, someone who's gone on the journey with you, uh, can they've helped others go up that mountain? Yeah. They, and especially if you have a complex buying. Uh, or complex sale, they're trying to get multiple people to climb with them. Some right. don't even want to, some want to go different paths. And so what do Sherpas do? Um, they can't climb for the climber, but we can provide guidance. We can provide help. We can help carry the load. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I find, you know, when I come to these hacks, I find um, that it's, you know, having awareness of yourself yeah. Realizing um, the other thing I would say is, is just you got to use some tools to overcome. Uh, a study was done to marketers found 480 marketers uh, tried to use empathy to predict what offers would work for customers. Yeah. And, you know, Casey, when I read it, I thought, well, for sure, the marketer is going to do better, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, They're empathizing. Yeah. Empathy. And so, predict what offer would appeal most. And they had the customers actually answer what was the most appealing offer. So I thought the marketers do better. Turned out the, the more empathetic the marketers were, the worse they did at predicting what would matter, what offer would appeal to the customer. Huh. Guess why? Why? They found the reason is that it's because the marketers use their own bias and preferences thinking it was empathy. So if I'm the customer, uh, what would appeal to me? If I were the customer and they completely missed it, the other ironic thing is that they had data given to them that would have helped. And the more empathetic the marketers felt, the more they ignored the information that would have helped them. Huh. So what do we do then? If right. empathy, you know, and so. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of feels like it goes right in the face of all of this 
talked yeah. or had about empathy. Oh, how I know. Do you, how do you resolve it to? So what they found is, is that um, the first thing is, is realizing you go in with bias or preference. So if you've ever been in a meeting yeah. and the most important person in the room uh, has said, I think we should do this. Were they thinking from the customer's point of view? Most likely not. They were using their own bias and preference thinking it's what I want. I think I know what the customer needs. And so you have to overcome your bias. And right. the only way to do that is to be the customer. So there's a series of tools um, that I've been adopting and using okay. to actually be the customer um, so that you can overcome that bias. So there's, uh, if, ev if everyone said, oh, well, Brian's just going to talk about empathy. If that's where we stopped, we wouldn't have helped you at all. Right. We would have gotten worse, actually. It would have been worse. So anyone so, that listened to like the first 10 minutes and then like didn't carry on, I don't yeah. know. I know. So the, all of you are, who are rewarded, we could we yes. even edit that then. <laughs> but the, the point is that um, there's tools, in, and we can go through those uh, as well, from empathy mapping, which is a form of human designer, centered design and design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about empathy mapping. Yeah. So uh, here's, here's what an empathy map is. Um, you know, four, it's a four-box quadrant. Uh, I think a lot of problems are solved with four box quadrants, but here's what I love about it. It is, seems like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it doesn't it? Yeah. So the left-hand side, you, you, you would put what you observe your customer or your audience saying and doing. Think of any relationship, you know, that, that you know someone. Just by observing what they say and do, you can tell a lot about how they're thinking and feeling. If, yep. uh, you know, I, I know right away how my wife's day has been without already saying a word most yeah. of the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Same with friends and things like that. But based on the external, what you see someone say and do, on the right-hand side, you write think and feel. So the point is, is that empathy mapping is a way to get to the interior world of our customer by looking at, based on what they're saying and doing, how are they likely thinking and feeling? And good news is, is all of us, empathy is like a superpower. It's a skill we can develop. Okay. And every human being has it because we have mirror neurons in our brain, which uh, sometimes is uh, referred to as the empathy cell. Uh, it allows us, and, and they've showed uh, hooking people up to um, magnetic resonance as well as brain imaging, hmm. that when we are in sync with someone, our emotions actually resonate at the same as someone else. Um, we may experience it differently. We may not feel exactly the same way. But what mirror neurons allow us to do is actually um, mimic another's emotions. Uh, and this is why, you know, if you've, if you've ever been injured, for example, have you ever watched a movie, seen someone or seen sports, someone in sports get injured and you just affect, get affected by it, especially if you've sure. had that injury? Sure. That's a form of empathy. You know, so if I see someone have a leg injury, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, and I've seen. It, I'm like, oh my god, oh, you know, because I've had that. I could relate to it. So the point is, is I can observe what someone did, what they experienced, and I can then experience that felt sense. It allows you then. And so when you are thinking of the customer and their day to day experience, empathy mapping is, hey, what's my customer doing in their day right now? Mm -hmm. uh, what are the kinds of things they're saying? What are they doing? Um, and then from that, then you can move into how they're thinking and feeling, you know, someone might be, uh, you know, they're, and, and, and we can go through some examples of that. But the point is, is this is a tool to help yeah. you think about it. The other thing is getting out into the world of your customer. Um, someone that, uh, uh, that I'd interviewed, I, I loved his, a story example he shared, Dave Brock. Um, he wrote the sales manager's survival guide and, you know, Dave shared a story, said, hey, I'm selling to, um, he was selling to, to banks, investment bankers. And so he went uh, where he was in New York and Wall Street. He went to a bar that they go to after work, after they leave Wall Street. Sure. He bought a beer, sat, and just simply listened. Huh. And it's amazing when over adult beverages, it could be coffee too, but you know, yeah. over adult beverages. And I'm, I was at a networking event with a bunch of marketers. We talk about what our frustrations were, 
what what matters to us what are the things we're excited about what are the things we care about what are the mm -hmm. things that are happening in our industry and and so he was there just um sitting in the community listening to his customers um who he was looking to sell to and came away with so much insight he was curious he cared uh, in some cases, he may even buy the beer and just talk with people. Mm -hmm. The point was, is he got into their world and it was in that unguarded moment that people talk about the things that really matter to them. You know, right. just like over, you know, it might be a friend over coffee, things like that. So that's, that's the other true. thing is, is just getting in the world of your customer. How, how else can you do that? Um, some of the people listening are marketers. I find so many marketers don't actually get out in the field and spend enough time with the customers. They don't mm -hmm. get out of the building enough. So go on sales calls with your sales team. Um, the other thing I found is, is if you really want to understand the motivation of your customer, you can also just listen to, uh, if you have business development reps or sales development reps. Um, I, I worked with a, a well-known marketing automation company and just listened to their SDR calls, uh, both sides of the conversation. And it was amazing mm. how much insight you get when you actually listen to what is being said what the customer is saying, and, and then you start thinking about what's the experience of the customer? You know, right. what are they trying to get done? How are they feeling at this moment? And we had huge insights on how we could improve the experience uh, for the customer because <clears throat> when you're not in the situation and you can observe and listen and yeah. apply your empathy, you can actually start thinking more creatively, collaboratively, you know, how, how might we improve the, the customer experience? Right. And so, the point is, is um, in the fourth thing that I found is super helpful. In fact, I'm I'm doing it today. It's one of my favorite things. Is I interview customers about their buying journey. Okay. And I'm just like, hey, take me back to the day that you were first evaluating. And let's say it's um, uh, uh, let's say that it's safety and um, uh, digital safety and security solutions. So take me back to that day when you were first evaluating. What what caused you to start looking? You know, and I find when I ask someone just to share their story uh, in a non-structured way, we share so much when we talk about our stories. So often in 25 minutes, I might ask fewer than three questions because it's in, and I'm just listening. Right. And um, it's a bit like, this is called uh, in, in crime science, <laughs> They call it cognitive interviewing. Take me back to the scene Ooh. of the crime. Okay. What were you doing? Where were you going? What happened? But you're listening then as people share what happens. And here's the thing. We as humans do not share stories sequentially. We bring in experiences. You and I said, oh, man, we should have probably said that story right. about empathy sooner. Yeah. You know, um, that's how life is in conversations. But I, I usually say something, do you mind if I record this conversation so I don't clack away on the keyboard? Um, almost, I, I haven't had anyone say no. So I record the conversation, mm. uh, I get it transcribed, and then I begin decoding it. I highlight, hey, here was a motivational insight because we don't say I felt frustrated, but I might hear, I had three bosses in less than a year and we we're still able to get this done. I was like, wow, three bosses? Um, yeah. What was that like? That was right. really frustrating, you know? So you, you get these emotional ahas about the customer, what they're experiencing. And what I'm doing is two things. I'm building out the journey map. What do they do? Mm -hmm. Okay. So three things you want to learn as you're listening to your customer stories. You want to understand what are the things they're doing? What are the questions or the things they're thinking about? Are they trying to get answered? And then third, how are they feeling at that point? So someone might say, I was feeling super hopeful. You know, um, I was learning about how we would uh, deal, deal with digital solutions. And then, you know, I was realizing I'd have to get this through the school board. Um, I'd have to get this, <laughs> get my demo sure. board. I'm like, is it even worth it? You know? Yeah. Um, and so someone might move from hope to despair and you got to listen to that because if you're going to be a Sherpa and help your customers in the journey, um, just selling, you, you got to address how can you move someone from despair back to hope again? Right. And so you know, those are the things that I find is those four things we talked about empathy mapping, you know, uh, getting in the world of your customer yep, getting in the world, and then going out in sales calls and listening to record a conversation with your sales. And then okay. we talked about 
um, doing customer journey or buyer story interviews. And what'd you call that interviewing cognitive interviewing? Yeah. Cognitive interviewing. And so really it's, it's a style of interviewing. And I said that specifically so you can Google uh, cognitive interviewing technique. And um, so this is uh, when my work is I just, nerd out and try to figure out the best way. So I'm borrowing from everywhere from neuroscience, behavioral science, ethnography, uh, psychology. And and the whole point is, is I'm just trying to understand better what customers care about. And that's the the whole issue we have is we have more channels, more ways of reaching customers than ever before. Um, We have more data about our customers, right? We have more tools that can reach customers and easier. But when I talk with marketers, the reality is, is even though in theory it should be easier, it's actually harder. Right. Um, and so you can't solve for conversion. You actually first got to understand how can I connect with my customer? Because that's the real issue. And what I'm saying is the answer to improving connection is you got to first understand, don't try to get your customers to care. They already have things they care about. You right. need to understand what they care about and connect to that first. Yeah, I like that. Don't try to get them to care, figure out what they already care about. They care about yeah. something. Yeah, we all do. Maybe you can help with what they care about. Maybe you can't, but yeah. And yeah. so that's the, and I can find that um, the, I think of what most people start with. I have a problem. I'm trying to get something solved. They may ultimately come up with a different answer to the problem, but first I got to address where they are right now. Right. Meet them where they're at. Yeah. Thing. You mentioned technology and there's a million apps now. It, yeah. It's that common question is like, is AI and bots, so they're all going to replace us or <laughs> yeah. We just talked about human empathy and right, conversations right. and dialogue and you can't, we just, and you smash the myth with Thor's hammer. You can't, automate trust can you automate the dialogue um are we getting getting get replaced by these things or is there a certain area that that they're useful yeah so um i'm doing doing work actually with a company who's applying ai with business development and sales development reps i actually think ai can augment our empathy um here's the thing right now technology uh in and of itself can't simplify things complexity okay. you know that's that's a skill humans have we have the ability to get to the essence of things mm. technology only complicates things you know Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah yeah so that's one thing i found the other thing is that um so there's that simplification the the other side is context and i find that context uh until we have ai or bots actually feeling the human experience they actually aren't going to know the best way to contextualize things. This is where, um, you know, and there's a number of notable examples of companies who've used technology in a way that didn't, um, that, that it went too far yeah. and provide context. So you have some horror stories. Well, I mean, I could think of, you know, the, the notable example just in the retail space, one jumped to mind. I thought of target, you know, a father finding out his daughter was pregnant because <laughs> without uh, because Target was noticing obso- observing behavior when setting ads and uh, and targeted direct mail pieces around pregnancy and oh, wow. it, was, it was because they, they observed there are certain things customers do and buy that actually denote uh, a pregnancy <laughs> and so congratulations <laughs> I know yeah it was a horror story um, you know both And so there's things that we need to think about in terms of how we use it. So Target actually um, needed to change how their their deep learning and Mm -hmm. the way that their algorithm worked to program it. So all algorithms in AI is programmed by humans. Um, It, you know, the way ability, the way machines learn, it's really up to the developer Mm -hmm. to look at how do we responsibly use that. And the problem is, is we don't know. Right. So I, I would say that to, to improve it, uh, and I'll give you an example. This isn't a horror story, but I would say that um, I, I read a news story about uh, Chase Bank who uh, outsourced to a, a company who has an AI, natural learning processor, 
that actually did a better job at writing ads than Chase's marketing team did. Do you know what company it was? Persado. So Persado's tech actually did a better job than Chase's own team in writing. What does that say? Is, that, is it the marketers are bad or, or the tech so is good? So here's the thing is, ironically, what, what is, what's Persado's tech doing? It's, it's getting emotional insights about the customers. It's doing the very things we're talking about. And what they're doing is, I would say, what, what, what might have happened if you had actually had um, tools that help you get these insights to augment your empathy as a customer, uh, as, as a marketer, so that you can spend time um, deciding what's, what's best for your customer, what's best for their experience, and you're spending less time having to um, get that initial data. Most companies have insight about their customers. And I'll say, in the case of Chase Bank, you know, my world has always been the B2B complex sale. It's way different when you're sure. looking to influence someone to sign up, say, for a credit card, you know, and it's one or two people involved in the decision process versus enterprise technology where you have 25 people uh, involved in the buying process and all these different motivations. Um, too much of the decision-making happenings happens offline. So yeah. we like to think, hey, we controlled it. You know, we saw it all. And I would say, you can see a lot from the data, but you need to have the, the insight of how, how can I help um, emphasize points in agreement? How can I help that person work with their team to get, rather than sharing all kinds of different content and causes people to, uh, in effect, each form their own opinion yeah. and decide what they want. If you want to get something done, you actually need to help uh, a group of people decide. And that's the problem is, mm. Most sales don't happen in B2B because of they, you lost your competitor. The reality is, is most sales happen because it's too dang hard to get work and decisions done inside companies. So like status quo wins more than Status quo wins anything. most of the time. No decision wins most of the time. Right. It's safer. It's safer to do nothing than risk making the wrong decision because jobs are in line, uh, money's on, on, on the line, uh, that you know, in, in effect, this, this could impact hundreds or thousands of people, depending on the size of the organization. So, you know, people's work life in terms of what they do can be on the line with some of these enterprise software purchases or right. enterprise solutions. So I would say that I don't see AI um, replacing what happens in B2B complex sales. I think it's going to augment it. Okay. And so that's the, um, what I'm excited about is um, fusing the human side of today, we've overcorrected too far. We've emphasized data and analytics. Yeah. And we've, we actually are missing the human. And so what I'm saying mm -hmm. is you got to do both, you know, and so the, we got to move from being over uh, leveraged to balancing that teeter totter to actually saying, these are people. Um, yeah. That's not just an email address. That's a person. And that person's inbox is a pretty intimate thing because that's the first thing they often see when they log in in the morning. They pick up their phone. They look at their email. And you're entering someone's life. What are you doing with that? Yeah. Or, that's just not an IP address. That's a person. Right. Um, so Behind the numbers, it can be kind of yeah. easy to forget yeah. that there's like actually, oh, 3,400. No, no, that's 3,400 actual people. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing that, that I find is, is um, you know, in B2B marketing, Forrester has been benchmarking world-class performance. And what, what shocks me is the difference between the best B2B marketers, and they, they look at uh, lead to revenue, okay? okay? Like, how many leads convert to revenue? Uh, average is 0.5%. Guess what? World class is James or Casey. Guess what? Yeah. World class is. What is world class? One point five percent. Wow. Okay, so it's still terrible. <laughs> world class is ninety percent of leads fail to produce revenue. All right. Wow. Think about that. So, I I just kind of look at the big picture here, is that um, it's not a numbers game. Yeah. It's it's a really about humans. And, and it helping their experience and driving 
helping that person drive change inside their company and also the change they need to happen in supporting, you know, like I feel hope and now I'm despair and, and yeah. I feel anxious or I feel afraid. Like nobody's bought anything. When I looked at why people buy, yeah. um, people don't buy because they're afraid. They buy because they want to feel safe. They want to feel secure. They want to feel calm. Like no one buy something because they're fearful or they're afraid. I'm afraid. Here's my credit card. Yeah. <laughs> no one does that. No, they're like, doing it because it's like, no, they, no one wants to stay in that state. We want to actually feel secure. We want to feel calm. We want to feel uh, safe or serene or peace. So you can often just look at where the negative emotions of if someone's feeling anxious, mm-hmm. Um, I want to move from a state of anxiousness to a state of calm. If I feel like right. an imposter, I want to feel confident. You know, so yeah. What what I'm saying is is um, you can actually get some clues. There's a white paper, or actually an article written in Harvard Business Review to get you started called "The New Science of Customer Emotions," and um, the the researchers there studied what were the most common buying emotions that were involved. And there's 10 of them. And uh, I mean, we can certainly touch on some of those now, but the the reality is, is that, as I said, we, every decision is based on emotion, you know, so the more you can actually help people move um, from negative state into the before and after stories when I'm talking about, right? you know, that that's, that's where there's so much opportunity. What were some of those in that, in that article? Yeah. So some of them were, uh, for example, feeling a sense of belonging, you know, right. um, I, I want to feel um, special and, and different like to, and so that's one where uh, another is um, feeling freedom to be the person I want to be. Uh, the the other would be to um, to be successful, to feel I'm I'm actually uh, doing well. Um, the other would be there's others that include like um, uh, positive about the future or in effect feeling tomorrow is going to be better than it was today. You know, and so if you think of a lot of the messages or as you you look at your customers, you know how many of them are actually buying because we want to experience that that feeling of success like right. we're here you know and there's a result that i that i i want but i don't yet have help me get that you know right. whatever that may be or um feeling freedom so if, giving an example of that emotion like uh, a company was selling project management software and the the project managers uh that they were selling to felt like they were nagging people all the time and they were in the business of creating reports, not actually managing projects, just nagging people to get the reports done, um, to give them freedom to actually spend less time nagging and more time actually, you know, project management's a hard job. So yeah, that's one yeah. of the things. So there's a whole host of things that, that we can do. And um, uh, we talked about six of them, you know, we could go into this, some of the others, but you know, the whole point sense, is, yeah. is uh, that's that's where change takes place is and how we look at our lives is often how do we feel about it right the aha I'm, I'm having here is that you know we, we've talked to the the Del Ravellas the artists the, the folks around yeah. doing the research and the They're buyer amazing. interviews amazing yeah. and yeah. what I love that you combine here is yes I know we're looking for the actions that they're taking on the map I know we're looking for the questions and known that for a long time but the emotions <laughs> that they're asking or that yeah. they're that they're feeling they're experiencing or that they're seeking right that that's actually that's sort of this underlying key to the whole thing it's probably even the the, the logic machine that's driving all these doings and questions yeah the underlying question is the emotion that they're feeling they're trying to run away from yeah, and I wanted to bring in, so I, I got together again with uh, Bert Anderson, and and uh, he'd be a great guest for your show if you haven't oh, cool. had him. Uh, he wrote the, uh, he was co-author of Challenger Sale, Challenger Customer, and anyway, Gartner just- I love that uh, book. Yeah, 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 so, you know, some of the new research they found is, is that 
uh, one, there's a confidence gap in customers. Like, uh, right. can I get it done? Is it worth it? Not only that, I would say there's a confidence gap in marketers and sellers. Like yeah. when I, when I talk with people, you know, um, and it's because we are, we are human. Like, can we get it done? Am mm -hmm. I just going to be, uh, on, is it just me doing the same things over and over again, beating my head against the wall? You know, right. is anything going to change? Right. And so, I get um, fired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit like the movie Groundhog Day to be a marketer, right? True. You've ever seen the movie? I mean, love that movie. It's the same. And funny enough, um, his experience didn't change until he started changing, you know? Oh, and actually, it was the motives behind the story. Um, and I won't spoil it, but it's been out long enough. I mean, the whole point is, is there was this whole magnificent transformation um, for, uh, for Bill Murray's character as he went through this. And, and it was because um, he wanted to build a relationship with someone, but he couldn't just manipulate it. He actually had to care. And not only that, he had to actually care himself. Right. And so, you know, I would say life's too short if you're just going through the motions as a marketer, you know, it's, it's, um, and so coming to that place of, uh, I, I would say this whole idea of empathy uh, comes down to having empathy, not just for your customers, but for yourself. And we could spend time talking about the, about that a little bit i can share my own story how did i get in this work and everything well i mean that's a great question because like the really what i'm thinking now is like all these things and this you've zeroed in on emotion and empathy yeah i'm wondering who are you like where did you come from how did you become this wisdom knowing sage of the sales oh, and marketing complex sale world so um take us back like little all right Little Brian days. You want to tell you my origin story? Yes. I grew up in a small town, Hastings, Minnesota. Um, when I was six, my family moved uh, to the country, which was outside of town. Um, my house was surrounded by fields. My first job actually was working um, at the first vineyard here in Minnesota. I was 10. Um, legally, they couldn't have hired me, but they uh, they did anyway, and I was <laughs> digging, um, I was digging, uh, covering up vines. Uh, they they found they have a hardier vine now, but they would dig a ditch and then they'd put the vines in it. And so you have to be very gentle not to damage the vine and cover it with dirt. And okay. uh, so that's what I did. And then my my second job was working on a farm, and um, you know, my first entrepreneurial venture was uh, picking sunflowers from the fields which had randomly fallen into like a cornfield and sunflower seeds were in there so i'd get them my dad worked as an assistant manager at a grocery store and started selling them so that's how i bought my first wow. guitar was actually by um my my dad just brought the sunflowers and he he was the, he had the business idea of saying hey it's a bird feeder you know just the you know yeah. people by the head they put it out and birds pick out the seeds but uh, for me, I was like, wow, this is cool. And yeah. I, um, you know, my motivation originally for business and, and for money uh, is, you know, I had a pretty idyllic childhood, but also, you know, like a lot of people are listening, um, my family had been impacted by addiction. And so, sure. you know, some of the things that came from that as I learned, uh, if I could go back to little Brian, mm -hmm. I... I learned that I got love um, for doing two things where I got attention because my family did the best they could. Sure. But when I achieved um, yeah. and did something good, I would get attention. Or if I did something bad, I would get attention. Sure. So <laughs> for a lot of my life, it was extremes like, all right, I'm going to do something bad to get attention. Or I'm going to do something good to get attention. And what this really fed inside me is performance, you know? Right. And so, right. And, and we grew up in a good Catholic home and, and, uh, you know, I just remember at the heat of it, my parents fight to church and then we'd be the perfect family at church. And so I learned right. how to perform. And so later in life, um, what this meant is, uh, I learned about working hard. I learned about achieving. 
Um, these are great things. They they aren't terrible things. No, no. But you know, I can relate. I know what you yeah, mean. Like but, the but I meant something. Yeah. yeah so it, it forced me in a lot of ways to, you know, I couldn't just be in school. I had to always aim for four O. I couldn't just be in right. uh, in whatever I did. I, I always aimed to be the best and I always aimed to be notable. And I always wanted to be seen because I wanted to be seen. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be cared for. So yeah. I would, um, it wasn't until later in life and, and we could jump ahead, but if I could go back to my 18 year old self, I'd say, Brian, spend more time, you know, you're not a human doing, you know, um, you're living your life from the outside in, trying yeah. to fill that part of, are you worthy? Are you lovable? Right, right. Are you, you know? And so all this stuff I did on the outside, I would say, just begin living from the inside out, like right. who you are. And so that's what I've actually spent the second of my half life. The second half of my life doing is it wasn't until I was 40. And so, yeah, you read off all these achievements, which were good, but I kind of look back and I'm like, it was it was because I had this insatiable drive to strive, you right. know, and I had an acceptable, um, an acceptable addiction is workaholism. Sure. In, especially in America. In America we, yeah. We're a culture of workaholics. We are, yeah. And so um, no one, no one would say, Oh, Brian, stop working so hard other than like uh, my close friends and family who yeah. saw that I worked all the time. And when I wasn't at work, all I thought about was work. You know, so right. Um, it well, was. You know, did did that kind of? I mean, the, even the performance side of it. it did that the fact that there are emotions underneath the surface? Yeah. Did so that kind of like tie into the empathy, and you're like, wait a minute. It did. So yeah, it was later in life, ironically. Um, so the funny funny thing about my work is I uh, I still go to therapy regularly. Sure. It's to me, I view it is. Um, in, in the same way I go to the dentist, like I, in order for me to do my work, I actually need to keep emotionally in the game. Oh yeah. Um, to be healthy and, uh, and actually to be able to see, uh, and, and, and do it. But previously I had to get knocked off my horse, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, yeah, all these accolades, you know, so, you know, what I learned is, is not just to, uh, to be good. I had to look good while being good. And Got guess it. what? It made me a pretty effective marketer. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I actually got to be a really good marketer because I was like, all right, I could go in a room and figure out, okay, who do I need to be? What, what needs to happen? And uh, I could morph to the situation again. Uh, later in life, I learned, wow, I really wasn't being authentic or genuine. And sure. those words are used enough. It's right, but true. But it it wasn't until um, you know around 2010 uh, I had so I had sold my company uh, I had gotten my identity Congrats. work and my title yeah you know so you kind of go through this whole experience and I got to experience this part of the American dream of you build a company um, you, and and then oh you sell it and then get you get your exit that. yeah you yeah. get your exit you know and the thing is is um, I was feeling aimless inside because the purpose and identity that I got came a lot from that work. And within a year of selling my company, um, I had my 17 year marriage uh, ended and um, both my daughters started having, um, and my life changed radically. So the, uh, I had moved from being a, a dad who had a stay at home wife, two healthy, wonderful kids, all these things going for me to my marriage has ended. I'm now a stay at home. And in fact, I, I was a full-time dad for a period of time uh, to daughters that were struggling. Mm. And for about a year, I rode my high horse. I rode my white horse and I was crushing it, right? Yeah. Everything was great. And um, it was right around uh, nine months in and I got promoted to not run just one business. I was working for the company I sold to that I was um, oh, so you're still working. So I was working. For oh, the wow. Oh, that's, that's rough. I thought maybe at least you had. No, no. Oh, so wow. That involved an employment contract. And because my brand of me had been so linked to the business totally. that um, they wanted me to stay. And so I thought, sure, why not? And um, the, the, so I, 
now had more responsibility with all this stuff happening. And finally, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And um, so I actually started asking these big picture questions, important questions. What, what What's life all about? What does yeah. it all mean? And uh, I actually started to need to do therapy. I started to do group therapy. Um, my daughters actually needed to go to um, treatment for eating disorders. And that oh, was wow, very, yeah. very challenging for, for me too. And because I had no control, you know, I was seeing right. my daughters. Control a lot of like, other things. Yeah, the company, there's all this but, stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And so I realized everyone, we all have our story, okay? And right. it was what got me into this empathy work was as I got healthier, you know, and, and what I realized is I, um, I started questioning these, fun, these truths that I accepted, you, you know, that my worthiness is based on my work, mm -hmm. um, that who I am is, is my role, my title, my money, my, you know, all that. Yeah. Um, you know, having the beautiful house or having the beautiful wife or all these things. And the reality is, is when those things were swept away, I realized that I had to face where some of my worst fears were, which is, uh, you know, uh, I couldn't fit that picture in my mind. Right. And so it was, it took about two years that I had to actually start learning. I felt like, um, I didn't know how to lead because I didn't know how to lead from an authentic place. <laughs> and now sure. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to learn. I felt like I had all this experience, but I had to, in a lot of ways, learn how to do life over again. Over and again, yeah. it was in 2014, um, after about, uh, so it was, you know, three, three years in to uh, now being divorced and my kids were doing better in that. So I'm just saying this in context that um, I was ready for, with asking these bigger picture questions. And uh, I got sent a video by someone, it was a Sunday night. And uh, so my Jerry Maguire moment happened where I watched this video, two things stood out. First, you know, a CBS news story, the news anchor, uh, said, this company has been endorsed by Mother Teresa. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty wow. impressive. Secondly, the CEO has been nominated for Nobel Peace Prize. I was like, oh my God, who's this company? And you'll never guess what they were. They're a collection agency. So no. yeah, collection agency. What? And I was like, what? You know? Yeah. I, I can't remember what I said, but it was a swear word. And Because <laughs> sure. uh, I was like, you're kidding me and so they went in and and the story is is the ceo it wasn't even his idea um other than he wanted to practice compassionate collections he asked his employees to suggest ways they could do what they do better and a group of employees said what if we actually helped our customers deal with why they can't pay their bills we think we could make more money if we did that i mean it was that was the test like what if we help people deal with why of not having a job, for example, sure. let's help them get a job, interview, uh -huh. resume writing, doing that. And they're over a billion dollar company now. The company's called CFS2, but they started with this premise of giving away free services and helping people. And um, the bottom line impact, uh, so, you know, I won't say the whole story. You can share this link on the, on the podcast. I'll, I'll share it with you. People yeah, yeah. can watch it. But the news anchor was like, so giving all these free services, what's the impact then, you know, uh, to your business? And he said, we're actually 200% more profitable than, than we were before we did this. And wow. he goes, the best part is, this wasn't even my idea. And I remember <laughs> they, they talked to the, the, you know, a customer and, and I'm watching this customer cry, you know, talking about how their collection agent actually changed their life. And, you know, so why should I trust you? You're a collection agency. It's because we want to help you make more money because when you do better financially, we do. Right. So I'm watching this and saying all the context of I'd been this lead generation guy. I'd built this company. Um, I was working in a company that talked about being customer first. Okay. Mm -hmm. And something inside me just snapped like, oh my gosh. Every time my SDR team reaches out to a customer, we're trying to convert them. Are we right. really helping them? I've said the best marketing selling feels like helping, but am I really doing that? Right. And I was like, no, you know, 
Um, so my Jerry Maguire moment, I actually was able to sleep that night. Uh, I didn't write <laughs> didn't my mission statement. <laughs> I didn't later write a blog yeah. post about it. But the, uh, you know, I talked to our CEO. We had our Monday morning standing meeting. I said, watch this video. We did during the call. And they said, I want to do something different. I want to actually care, take what we say about our customers and live it out. And um, I just need you to empower me and trust me to do this. And so met with my team. Uh, after that meeting, we had our standing Monday morning meeting and I had them watch the video and said, you guys, I want to change how we're reaching our customers. You know, look at this video, look at how they cared, look at the lives they transformed. Right. And, um, you know, I was expecting this motivational moment where people would clap. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was right. crickets. They're like, what are you talking about? Or yeah, they're like, crazy? okay, what are you on? What are you I talking about? I still have about? a job? <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yeah. So someone raised his hands, Mark, you know, you've been on our team 10 years. Like, if we do this, if we do what you're talking about, how are we going to get leads? You know, if we focus on just helping people and not trying to ask for leads, how are we going to, how are we going to get them? Right. And so um, the answer to the question, and Later, I had people saying, I don't know what my purpose is, I don't know what my job is. So what we did later is we moved from being uh, SDRs to being more of a concierge is like at a hotel. Okay. What's their job? Focus on the experience of the customer. What are you trying to get done? Get a, have a dinner? What's the experience? What are you trying to do? So our big aha came from not giving away more stuff to people. Mm -hmm. and not uh it just came down to we need to understand what they cared about and so we'd say hey you attended this webinar what were you hoping to to learn what were you trying to get done or what you know the other question the easiest question is hey what motivated you to attend the webinar and i had to unlearn and help my team unlearn so we made sure everyone got paid at the highest level because they've been paid per lead and they also right. got paid a percentage of revenue. And I was like, okay, I had to argue and, and we got our team, whatever the highest level of income someone had earned, they were paid that for a period of time while okay. we implemented this test. Sure. And my, why? Cause I didn't want someone to, to be afraid of doing something different. And, right. you know, so we wanted to take away the money objection to that. Um, and then we had to focus on just unlearning bad habits. So, you know, Google sucked, uh, or Google was good, actually. Our own search engine sucked. So people often were trying to get questions answered. We had thousands of articles um, on our site, lots of case studies, all this stuff, but you couldn't find it. So right. people say, I'm trying to get this done. And, we'd be, and so my team would focus on trying to get that figured out for them. And then sometimes it involves sending them an article or something free. Yeah. And here's the amazing thing, uh, same amount of calls, just a few more emails we were being sent. All the metrics were the same. Hmm. Six months later, uh, by not focusing on leads and not focusing on converting people, our team had gone from 11 leads, uh, sales accepted leads, to 30, hmm. which was a th that, that's pretty significant, but it, it was a 303% increase in the number of leads by ironically not focusing on getting leads at all and that was per rep that was uh that was for the team that was oh, the team goal got it and that um it was amazing it was just this huge difference and the the point that i came away with was i've learned so much now from then but it it all started with us caring you know, and I always said the best marketing selling feels like helping because it is. But when we actually did it, when we actually focused on helping and not trying to convert people, all the things we wanted started to happen. Right. And then my team saw this this significant difference in what they were doing. If you, I mean, this is fantastic. I, I wonder though, like, wouldn't you have some people slacking off and not doing work if they're not measured? And that's... So well, the standard so, objection. Yeah, and I would say that measurement, uh, the focus previously would be on how many calls, how many conversations. Right. So 
uh, I still track the metrics because I wanted to see what would happen. I, I wanted right. to see, you know, um, the truth behind the story. So we tracked all the things. You still tracked it. It you just still tracked wasn't it. incented on that. It end. wasn't incented. It wasn't the main thing. The main thing was focusing on caring and helping the customer. So instead of, um, instead of having a lead report, I had my team provide a memorable conversation report. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, so we, we had, this was pre-Slack <laughs> when we did this, but uh, I would have a Slack channel now just sharing the stories. Yeah. You know, having some campfire way. So we would huddle up daily uh, doing a 10 minute standing huddle, sharing these memorable experiences. Um, once a week we did something called wave club. Uh, and the, the joke was like fight club, what stays in wave club. Um, yeah. Right. You yeah. know, but for us, we actually would listen to the conversations and I, I'd say, bring in your best conversation, your worst conversation. And we needed to create safety for people to listen to the dialogue. Like, Hey, how might we have helped this, this person better? What were they really trying to get done? Right. And so those are the kinds of things that, it wasn't just, um, you know, the, the focus on motivation. It was helping my team. I, I would say the, the intent was care about the customer, but what I needed to do was help my team feel safe. Right. Um, yep. I needed to care about them. I needed to help them feel confident and help them feel, uh, you know, actually loved. Like I cared about them because I did. You because did, it, yeah. that came through than to the person who was receiving the call or receiving the email. Right. And so that, that's the part that I would say it was, you know, I can codify it now, but back then it was just, you know, how are we going to do this? You know, yeah. How are we going to actually <laughs> live this out? And so um, that, that was my Jerry Maguire moment was, you know, I saw the collection agency, they said their strategy of kindness. I was like, well, it's actually empathy. It's seeing from the experience of the customer sure. and then doing something about it. Huh. If you, looking back now, were to give advice to yourself as you're starting your career, mm-hmm. what, what would you tell yourself? I think I would just tell myself to, um, one, uh, that life isn't going from mountaintop to mountaintop that uh, often the best things in my life I feel has happened not because I had um, the best had this plan and goal Mm. Um, I was willing to um, to say yes and also I would say be willing to say um, to say yes and embrace the uncertainty of life Mm -hmm. Um, and and know that often when you feel the most uncomfortable the most afraid um, that's where you probably are supposed to be. Um, because I find that the, uh, an empowering question, I, I didn't come up with it, but I heard from someone else is what would you do if you weren't afraid? Right. I like that. And, um, I think it's world blue, Tracy Fenton, who, who uses it, they call it a power question. But the point is, is if you had the freedom of operating without fear, what would you do? You know, and I love the fact that, you know, you climb mountains and yeah. skydive. And, yeah. You know, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Yeah. So, still afraid, actually. Still, yeah. But still it freaks embracing. me out. Yeah. Yeah. It's embracing that part. Right. You know, there's, if you weren't afraid, there might be people listening right now. What would you do for your customers if you weren't afraid? Right. What would you do in your marketing if you weren't afraid? Yeah. What would you do for a career if you weren't afraid? Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't met anyone in BDB marketing who said they wanted to be a B2B marketer yet. <laughs> I haven't. Ah, uh, I would be in B2B marketing. There, yeah. Email us. Please text me. Yes. Send um, us a note. <laughs> because most of the time we all took circuitous class to doing what we do. You know, right. I was, I did inside sales and ended up moving into lead generation, which then ended up, evolving to other things. So, right. um, you know, I didn't pick this path. It, it, it opened up and I said, yes. Powerful words. Where, speaking of connecting with you, where, where can we reach out? What, what are good channels? Yeah. To find you. Are you going to be any events coming up? So, um, yeah, I, I've, I'm trying to remember the, the next event coming up, but the easiest way, find me on Mark Hempa. So that's where marketing meets empathy, Mark Hempa. I like that. And then, um, 
you know, I've got resources there. Um, I'm planning on just giving some, doing some free webinars, training sessions. So if people want to um, join in, hang out for that, you, nice. you, you, you can bring this stuff in your company. And then on the blog there, there's a lot of free um, resources too. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And I see uh, Twitter, LinkedIn as well. Yeah. 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 Most of the usual social channels you can find. Right. Too. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I don't know if you looked at the clock, but time is just like warped yeah. by. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's flown. It's been fun. It's been, I, thank you so much for coming on here, you know, sharing yeah. your story, but also helping us all learn about how to infuse the emotions into the marketing. You bet Casey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for everyone <laughs> out there listening, if you learned something and I know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here, <laughs> then uh, share this with someone, be a thought leader for even one person or two people. Now you doubled your thought leadership, but, but get this out in other people's hands, especially if they're in marketing and they're not really feeling it anymore. This would be a way to, to sort of reinvigorate your marketing to think about the person on the other end of that email or that ad. So yeah, Woo. Ryan, we did it. We're done. Awesome. Hey man, thank you. Absolutely. And for everyone out there listening, this has been the hardcore marketing show. We will catch you all next time. Hey, 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 hey.